When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 127, and we are recording on April 10th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. How's it going? It's Tuesday. <laughs> it's really sunny here today, which makes me so happy. Yeah. It was it, very It snowed gray. yesterday, so no. I've lost all my ability to process reality, and I'm just sitting and I'm just sitting. This is just where I am now. Yeah, fair. It's supposed to be really? 80 on Friday though, so I'm just holding out. I'm holding out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I might go buy a bathing suit today just in <laughs> protest. Because <laughs> you know how you solve problems? Capitalism. That's how you do it. <laughs> well, you know, there is like a Murphy's Law thing where if you maybe if you buy the bathing suit, the weather will be like, fine you know like maybe (laughs) who knows maybe it will help I don't know I don't know um I I we were supposed to get snow this weekend and it didn't snow which was really nice because I finally got to do my my gardening great community part plot that I'm part of yes which is literally in a cemetery it's super exciting (laughs) you can see that on my tumblr if you're interested um what are you reading Amanda I am just about to start The Electric Woman by Tessa Fontaine, which comes out, I think, next week, and is a memoir of a member of the of America's last traveling carnival. And I oh. am so excited about it. I know. She um, is young. Like, I'm looking at the back of the book, and she looks like she can't be any older than 30. But yeah, she, like, leaves her home and goes off to join America's last traveling sideshow, and she becomes, like an escape artist and a snake charmer and and the electric woman. And like, this is what she does. She's a carny, <laughs> you know, like that's, and it's her memoir. And I'm just really excited about it. The cover's really cool. The subtitle is a memoir in death defying acts. So mm. I'm interested in seeing how she puts it together. But the promo material that came with the book, um, recommended it for fans of wild and H is for Hawk. So, well, that's a very specific, it is wheelhouse right there. When, especially when you add in the carnival stuff. Interesting. What about you? I am reading The Citadel of Weeping Pearls by Elliot de Bedard. Um, she has this series of novellas set in, uh, it's called the Shuya universe. It's like a, it's like space opera, but inspired by Asian and Vietnamese specifically cultures so like it's basically the Vietnamese in space um and it's awesome and this one is about um so the empress's like eldest daughter was a princess who like had her own sort of city citadel in space um and then they rebelled and then the whole citadel just like disappeared and it's many years later and they need to find the citadel because they had these special weapons and the the empire is under attack and they want the weapons so and there's like a little time travel subplot going on it's great i love her books um her space books in particular and i'm so happy there's a new book in this um series coming out which is why i'm picking it back up finally so yes yes if you like space opera you should definitely check it out so 
Who doesn't love a good space opera? I love it. Okay, let's see. Oh, we have a good giveaway going on. Do you want yes. to tell the folks about that? Yes, we are giving away 15 uh, mystery thrillers that we picked. They're all from inclusive authors, and they've all come out in 2018 so far. Um, so all of the authors are either people of color or LGBTQ or both or all or whatever. Um, and so they are, we're giving away all of them at once, like to one, one person. We'll get this <laughs> chunk of 15 books. Um, you can go to bookriot.com slash mystery giveaway to enter. It'll be open until May 9th, so you've got a while to enter. Um, a couple examples from the you know um, set, uh, The Widows of Malabar Hill, which I've talked about on this show by Sujata Masi, which I loved. Uh, a Dangerous Crossing is by Ozma Zehana Khan, who we talk about nonstop here. Walter Mosley has a new book out um, that we've included. A lot of them are from series, uh, so it's a nice way to introduce yourself to some new uh, cozy mystery series or mystery thriller series if you're a, a, a series reader. So yeah, go enter 15 books. Page turners, win them all just in time for your summer reading. I think that's really, really nice. Mm-hmm. That's a good list. Um, all right. So if you are new to the show, here's how it works. You send us questions and we answer them about what you should be reading next, what you should get for your book club or a friend or a relative. Um, basically, if you have a... I need this kind of book question. We will do our best to find you that kind of book. You can send us questions either by email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. Or you can drop your question in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site. Uh, If you have a time-sensitive question, you need the answer by a specific date. Please do put that in either the subject line of your email or the very first line of the form. Like, all caps is fine. Let us know. We do our best to get to those. If we think we're not going to get to it on the air on time or... um, If you ask a question that has been answered a few times before, we might send you an email. So keep an eye out for those. And we do have some feedback um, from listeners from the last episode. Uh, Victoria, who's an insider, um, said that for Emily, who wanted an atmospheric book where nature and magic feature prominently, she recommends Changing Heaven by Jane Urquhart. And specifically, she said the book is better, I think, if you have some familiarity with Wuthering Heights or just with Emily Bronte. So... All right, I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda's going to talk about our first sponsor, and away we go. Uh, The first question is from Jean, who says, I cannot find sci-fi fantasy short stories on audio. I listened to your podcast a few weeks ago on short stories, and I tried to find the Mary Spinster, Tender, and the Best American sci-fi fantasy, none of which are on audio. Oh, that's an audio fail right there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, All I can find are Neil Gaiman and Ken Liu. I would love to introduce short stories to my sci-fi fantasy book club, but I personally need an audio book. All right, well, We'll fix it. Okay, so our first sponsor I am so excited about. I just yes. read this like synopsis of it and now I need to get it. So it's sponsored our show hmm, is sponsored by My Lady's Choosing, an interactive romance novel by Larissa Zagaris and Kitty Curran, and it's published by Quirk. So My Lady's Choosing is a romance novel that lets you pick your path, follow your heart, and find happily ever ever after. You are the main character, a plucky but penniless heroine in the center of 19th century society. Courtship season has started, and with more than 20 possible, like, choose-your-own-adventure storylines, you get to make your own, construct your own romance. So your love interests can include a handsome, Darcy-esque kind of baronet, a spirited, quote-unquote, I love this, traveling companion named Lady Evangeline Yills, uh, a rugged Scotsman with a dark past, 
and a mysterious and maybe ghostly supernatural master of a manner. So you, you know, you make your choices, you turn the pages and discover all of the daring delights of the intertwining multiple storylines. This sounds so great and like so much fun. There are werewolves and stolen Egyptian artifacts. And, you know, if you like Outlander or Romeo and or Juliet, which also was from Quirk, I'm pretty sure, or, uh, or, you know, any kind of Regency romance reader, I think this would be a great gift uh, for. So go check that out. My Lady's Choosing by Larissa Zagaris and Kitty Curran out from Quirk. Okay, I'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi fantasy short story. So I picked Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado, um, which is available on audio. I checked. And this is a really, like, fabulous short story collection. All of the short stories are some kind of something. Science fiction, dystopia, fantasy, horror. They've all got, mag- like, magical realism. Some kind of supernatural thing is happening here. So, like, the collection as a whole is not one particular SFF genre, but I think the whole thing it goes across all of those um, different genres. So like in the opening uh, story, a wife has a green ribbon around her neck that she's worn her entire life. Her husband becomes super obsessed with it and then he takes it off her to various consequences. Uh, There's a plague that wipes out humanity in a very like Station Eleven kind of way and you're watching the plague unfold through the point of view of a woman and her recent and past sexual encounters, which I've never seen a story told that way and it was just so fascinating. Um, A woman has um, like a gastric bypass surgery and then a really like unwanted house guest as a result of that surgery starts sort of haunting her in her home. So they're all like creepy and weird. Some of them are one tick off. Some of them are so many ticks off. Um, But every story has some kind of fabulous element to it. So that's Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. I talked about that on SFF Yeah recently. Um, And yeah, that plague story was one of my favorites. So good. Um, Okay, I picked Get in Trouble by Kelly Link, which has a full cast recording. Um, It is a really great short story collection. Also kind of moves around in terms of genre like if I'm remembering it correctly and I'm pretty sure I am there is a like haunted house in space story there's one that's very sort of more on the paranormal side there's others that are more fantasy-esque so there's a lot of different sort of subgenre interactions going on in it but um, I love Kelly Link she's an amazing writer and these short stories are just so varied so like the first one opens up Amanda's talked about this one before. Actually, it's called The Summer People. And it opens up in, um, like, rural North Carolina. And this young girl, like, is, you know, doing... Um, like is it housekeeping is like a very common thing uh, for like the summer houses of the people who only come there in the summer, obviously. Um, But then there's like a fairy house and a trade that happens and it's all like a little bit just like, yeah, a couple ticks off. Um, One of my favorites is about a ghost hunting reality TV show where this like former like vampire actor, I mean, he's, he plays a vampire on, in a movie series, much like Twilight, um, is going to reconnect with an old friend on the set of this ghost hunting reality show and things go very wrong, but not at all in the way you expect. Um, There's another one that all takes place at a wedding. Um, There's just a lot of different kinds of settings and things going on here. So I think it's a really great collection for a lot of, for people with differing interests in terms of sci-fi fantasy. And also there's a ton of discussion. So it make a really good book group discussion, I think. Uh, So that is Get in Trouble by Kelly Link. 
Okay, our second question is from Ray, who says, I'm spending all of May traipsing through various European cities, namely London, Edinburgh, Berlin, Rome, and Paris, and I'm looking for something that talks to, is about, brings up the vibe of walking through European cities, getting off the beaten path, and just generally living or exploring in them. Uh, can you tell that I can't wait to get on that plane? Yes. I'm thinking something with the vibe of Lauren Elkin's Flanus. Am I saying that right? Okay. And Hemingway's A Movable Feast. Um, so I'm also happy to have a bit of history involved, open to any genre except maybe true crime since I'll be traveling by my own some of the time and don't want to be too freaked out at night. Okay. I picked An Englishman in Madrid by Eduardo Mendoza, translated by Nick Castor, which obviously doesn't take place in any of the cities that you're going to, but it is a European city and is very much, I feel like, what you're looking for. Also, I bought this book while I was traipsing around Madrid in like an off-the-beaten-path bookshop that I found, so I feel like it's, you know... It's a, it's a good bang for this question. Um, also, it's a heist and is totally weird. If you have read any P.G. Woodhouse, uh, this, I think, will be – it's, like, up that alley. It's comedic. The main character, as the title implies, is an Englishman. His name is Anthony. Uh, he's an art historian, and he is invited to Madrid to value a Duke's art collection. Um, this book takes place right before the revolution, so, like, in the early 30s, late 20s. Um, and while he's there at, at the Duke's house, he meets the founder and leader, who he does not realize this at first, of a nationalist party um, whose members are like kind of thuggish in the street. They're causing a lot of problems. They pick fights with socialists. Um, so he doesn't realize this is happening. At the same time, the paintings that the Duke owns turn out to be totally worthless, but the Duke's daughter shows him that they're keeping something in the cellar, which is a piece of art that is not worthless and is actually worth tons of money. The Spanish authorities are watching um, the Duke because they're afraid that he's using his wealth to finance the nationalists. And so because of that, they also start keeping an eye on Anthony, who is totally hapless. Like he has just stumbled into this situation with no like ties. To, he has no ties to any political party. He spends most of the, the book walking around Madrid, going into museums, eating food, drinking coffee, being totally clueless about the idiotic situations he's getting himself involved in. And then the Soviets show up for reasons. Moscow is there. Like, it's just fun and weird. And you get to know the city of Madrid really well. Um, but since you're not going, that's not necessarily a selling point. But it is like a great story of just kind of a goofy tourist bouncing around and getting involved in things he has no right getting involved in. And I just really liked it. So that's An Englishman in Madrid by Eduardo Mendoza. I picked a book off my TBR, which is A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit. Um, you might have heard of her. She is the author of Men Explain Things to Me um, and a bunch of other things that are great. Um, she's got a really sharp eye for uh, for both prose and topics. Um, and this book is great because it's about, she's thinking about, uh, well, getting lost, obviously, from the title, but walking as both a cultural and political experience over time um like the thought of like what wanderlust is in terms of its impact on society um and she's also thinking about like for example there's a section on edward moybridge um like just you know who's a photographer to discuss like how space and time look um through the lens of photography and as you're traveling around um and uh she's also talking about her own experiences in terms of like wandering around and being lost in new places and what that where that can take you. Um, so it felt like a nice sort of atmospheric pick for you. It's obviously not geographically specific, but I always think that there's, 
like you mentioned, you know, Flanus, which is about this tradition of the Flanner, who is somebody who just like sets off to walk around and be like explore. And I think there's there's more to that than just the specific experience of a, like a, a particular travel memoir. And Solnit always does a really good job of thinking slightly bigger about a really specific topic, which I appreciate about her. So I feel like this one is a good one for that. So that's A Field Guide to Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit. I love her so much. She's great. Um, Okay, so let's see. Uh, Our next question is from Celeste, who says, I'm traveling to Wales in May for a two-week study abroad program. As part of my creative writing MFA, other than Dylan Thomas, what (laughs) should I read to set the mood? The only Welsh book I can remember reading is Among Others by Joe Walton, which I loved. I'd especially be interested in anything with passages about Wales' natural beauty and anything about sheep and the wool trade, as I'm also a knitter. Folk stories might be fun, and I'm open to poetry as well. What you got? Okay, I went with a kind of classic uh, or maybe like a modern classic of Welsh literature, and that is How Green Was My Valley by Richard Llewellyn, which is also a movie, like an old black and white kind of lovely movie. Um, So the book was published in 1939. It won the National Book Award in 1940. And I've heard it compared to East of Eden with with less plot. Like, not much happens in this book. This is about a Welsh family during Victoria's reign. Um, they live in a mining community in rural South Wales. Hugh Morgan is the main character. Uh, and his family is very deeply involved in the strikes that happened in that historical period of, uh, of Welsh history uh, when coal demand was starting to fall a bit. And the book is really just about his, like, village, like his community and his family, how tight knit they are, how their religion weaves into their lives, um, hard, the hardships that they face uh, being not really kind of lower class, like not middle class, not wealthy people. Um, But it's really just about like nostalgia, sepia toned, look back, looks back at a Welsh way of living that that not only doesn't exist anymore, but had started to not exist when Llewellyn wrote this book in the 30s. Um, and that was only, you know, 50 years after the time that he set it in. So it's a classic. It's 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 like beloved of British. Does, does Wales count as Britain? Like that's the most idiotic question I've probably ever asked on this um, podcast. But yeah, of Welsh, I'll just say. It's part of the United Kingdom. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Say. So UK yeah. lit. Um, the Penguin Modern Classics Edition is also very pretty. Um, so I, not that that will change your reading experience, but uh, I recommend getting it because I like the way it looks. So that's How Green Was My Valley by Richard Llewellyn. I was thinking about, I also loved Among Others by Joe Walton. I really enjoyed that book. And I was trying to think about books that had that vibe. And then I remembered The Grey King by Susan Cooper, which is technically the fourth book in the Darkest Rising series, which is like a kid's like middle grade YA fantasy series. But I read this book specifically out of all of them like a billion times when I was a teenager. And it was because it just captured this amazing atmospheric story with a touch of the supernatural and I do feel like you can read it alone because it is such like an interlude in the overall plot um this is about a young boy named Will who is like part of a group that is fighting back the forces of darkness um but he is very sick and he has been he's kind of like forgotten who he is like he's suffered from this really intense illness that has sort of drained him and wiped his memory of a lot of important knowledge um about this big epic battle of fantasy battle 
and he gets sent to recuperate with family who live in Wales, um, like sort of out in, you know, rural area. And they have sheep and dogs and he's just like supposed to basically, and his family knows nothing about this fantastical battle. So they're just like, oh, you go recuperate. Um, it'll be quiet and like, you know, you'll you'll work on the farm and get some fresh air and, you know, they'll be, they'll feed you up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so he's kind of wandering around just trying to like get better. And then he meets... Um, um, a young boy who's his neighbor who has some connection to this battle and the two of them together discover uh, sort of this like intense under the mountain thing. Um, I don't want to give away too much plot because it's just like a really enjoyable fantasy plot. Um, but it is, it just has so many great sort of everyday moments mixed in with the fantastical, which is one of the things that among others did so well. So I feel like you'll enjoy that. And it does feel very scenic um, when I think back on it. So that's The Grey King by Susan Cooper. All right, question for us from Kristen, who says, I'd like to get my mother-in-law a book for her birthday. She likes nonfiction British history, especially the Tudor period. She had read some historical fiction from the era, but prefers nonfiction. She's read so much of this particular genre, so I was thinking it should be something fairly new. All right, I picked Crown of Blood, The Deadly Inheritance of Lady Jane Grey. I can't say that out loud, like the Crown of Blood. Without <laughs> it of sounds blood. like a YA novel. I know, it does, it does. Crown of Shattered Stars and Bones, something like that. Uh, anyway, Crown of Blood is by Nicola Tallis, and it's not a YA novel. Um, it's about Lady Jane Grey. It came out in 2016, so it should be you know new enough that maybe she hasn't read it. Um for those of you who are unfamiliar, Jane Grey is uh, referred to as the nine-day queen or the nine-days queen. She was actually a queen for almost two weeks. So that's not entirely accurate. Um, but she was the cousin of uh, Mary, who, you know, the daughter of Henry VIII. When Henry died or was dying, he altered his will to make Jane his successor. Um, his two daughters, Elizabeth and Mary, were obviously legally illegitimate at that point because of his bajillion marriages. Um, I don't remember what the deal was with his son, but his son wasn't going to inherit either, either. Anyway, so, like, all of these really, really powerful men, advisors to the king and the king himself, like, arranged it so that Jane would inherit the crown upon his death, uh, which she did. And she was a really uh, ardent, um, is maybe not the right word, uh, obsessive, probably, Protestant. And so it was a very political move at that time to put a Protestant on the throne or to keep a Protestant on the throne, rather. Uh, Mary, of course, was a Catholic and um, a very devoted Catholic and was eventually restored. I don't know if restored is even the right word. Dep I mean, it depends on <laughs> what historian you ask. But when Mary took the throne, she had Jane executed. So Jane was queen for a very, very brief period of time. But it's always a sort of fascinating, um, if not as often explored person in Tudor history since she was only on the throne for, you know, like half a second um, and is sort of viewed as a pawn that more powerful men used to, to get her there, which isn't entirely untrue, but it's also not entirely true either. So she was a really interesting figure. Um, she, I think, saw, and the book goes into how she saw her, this as an opportunity to strengthen Protestantism in England. Um, and maybe when she got on the throne, she hadn't planned to get there. But once she got there, she was going to do some stuff with it, which she never got a chance to do, uh, obviously, because she lost her head. So, yeah. So that's Crown of Blood, The Deadly Inheritance of Lady Jane Grey by Nicola Tallis. I picked a book I'm reading right now called The Black Tudors, The Untold Story by Miranda Kaufman. And this book is so great because uh, Kaufman 
her thesis going into it is that, you know, we have very specific ideas about the African diaspora in history, and it's almost always just, like, boiled down to slavery, but that's not true. Um, and a lot of people just don't think that there were black citizens in uh, England or the rest of Europe, and that's also not true. Um, so she is going back and finding these really fascinating black figures in, in, in British history, um, English history, and telling their stories and situating them in the context of what else was going on in Europe, what else was going on with the slave trade, um, what else was going on just globally. And it's so interesting. Um, there was a, like Francis Drake, who, you know, circumnavigated the globe, had like a right-hand sailor who was black and was not a slave, um, was in service to him, which is different. Um, there was a trumpeter, um, in the English court who like drew wages and like asked for a raise and got it and was just basically treated like every other trumpeter in the court. Um, there's all kinds of fascinating stories in here and it's really readable. I'm finding it super accessible. Each chapter opens up with a little like mini POV about a specific scene that we have documentation for, for this, the person that she's looking at and then expands to be like, okay, so here's what we know about them. Here's how we know it. Here's how they interacted with other people and other situations. And in a lot of cases, what she's showing is that like your race did impact your standing in English society, but actually potentially more important was your class. Um, so what job you had, what skills you had, how you entered society, all might matter more than the color of your skin. And it's super fascinating. And it's really like untold until now. Um, and it only came out in November of last year, and it's from a very small press. So I feel like the chances of her having seen this are slim to none. Um, and it's it's definitely worth picking up. I like also want to like pitch it for book groups that do nonfiction because this would be an amazing book group read. Uh, so that's Black Tutors: The Untold Story by Miranda Kaufman. And it is time for our second anniversary, or excuse me, second sponsor, <laughs> which is us, because it is Insider's anniversary. That's the word I was trying to get in there. I can't believe it has been a whole year. I know. Since, since we launched. Yeah. So Book Riot Insiders, if you haven't heard, is our special platform for subscribers that has exclusive content. Uh, it's got uh, exclusive podcasts. There's newsletters. Um, there's a monthly mailbag drawing just for subscribers. And there's three different levels. There's uh, you, you can kind of pick your perks. Um, the the highest level, which is epic, gets you access to the Insiders Forum. That one is capped at a certain number of people, but new spots do open up monthly. And if you're a novel level member, which is really the sweet spot here, uh, you get first dibs on those epic spots. And if you're a novel member, you also get the new release index, which is amazing. It's uh, curated by Liberty Hardy from all the books and the new books newsletter. She scours the internet for interesting upcoming releases and then puts them in the index and you can build your own watch list and see what's coming out. So there's a lot of good stuff there. We have made it even nicer since we first launched it. You should definitely check it out if you haven't already. So that's bookriot.com slash insiders. We'll get you all of the details. I'm so excited that it's a year old now. I'm gonna. I'm literally gonna make a cake tonight. Not. Gonna, I'm really? making a cake. Yeah, I'm baking oh. myself a cake. <laughs> it's so much fun. I'm just the slack. The slack is so much fun. Also, the new release index is what I use to plan my reading for all the books. So. Yes. Same. Same. 
It's so funny. Like Liberty is right. She's one of the regular co-hosts of all the books. And she also curates the index. And I'm like, I basically couldn't be on her show without the work she does. Exactly. So thank you, Liberty. Um, All right, cool. So our next question is from Jessica, who says, I'm hoping you can help me with a dilemma I'm having. Recent events have inspired me to read more about feminism and books with feminist themes. I'm also a stay-at-home mom to three kids under the age of five, including twin boys. (laughs) There's a fist bump for Amanda in there. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I have a different cult time reconciling feminist ideology with the amount of time I spend making sandwiches. This is a choice I made and I have a supportive equal parenting partner in my husband, but I just can't help wondering if I'm selling out somehow. I'd love book recommendations that can help me navigate this. What you got, Amanda? Well, first of all, <laughs> yeah. um, I just want to say like, for the record, you are not betraying the sisterhood by making sandwiches. Like somebody has to feed the children, right? And if it, that's yep. the best choice for your family is that it's you, rock on that it it, just because you gave birth to them does not make your caring for them less important or not or anti-feminist in any way so I just want to say that um anyway I picked a novel for you about feminist rage after having a child which I think might might make you feel a little better uh it's Afterbirth by Alyssa Albert um and the main character is Ari who had a baby a year before the book opens her son Walker and since she's had her child she has been struggling. Um, If you read the book, you can, I mean, I think from an outsider's perspective, it feels like she's got some postpartum depression. It reads like she's got some postpartum depression. It manifests on the page as just rage. Like she is enraged about every aspect, excuse me, of being a mother, every single one. (laughs) And like from her birth experience was not what she wanted and was pretty terrible and traumatizing. So she's really angry about that. She's angry about how little her husband helps her. She's angry about questions strangers ask her about her inability to find joy in her child's screaming, which no one finds joy in, but we're supposed to pretend like we do. Um, and then she's, she's dealing with all of this and trying to, like, she's struggling to figure out what she wants to do with herself now that her child is a little bit older, um, like work or what. Uh, and so then she meets Mina, who is um, like a, a semi-famous musician, like a cult musician who is now older um, and is a single woman who is pregnant and like moves in down the street from Ari and they become friends. And so together they sort of try to navigate this terrain of the different ways that women become mother, that people become mothers and how none of those ways are acceptable. (laughs) Like nothing women do uh, is good enough or right enough for society, especially when it comes to different ways uh, of becoming a parent and how we act that out or walk that out. So I think for somebody who, and I went through this myself also when I was a stay at home mother, when my twins are super little, um, if you're struggling with enjoying that or not enjoying that and feeling guilty about how you feel either way, because you can be made to feel guilty about liking being a stay at home mother. And you can be made to feel guilty about hating it. No matter how you feel about it, someone's going to think that you're feeling the wrong thing about it. So I think just reading another book about another woman who's asking herself the same questions and is just pissed off about it. Uh, It's very cathartic. So that's Afterbirth by Alyssa Albert. Yeah. The thing I always come back to is that feminism is about having choices, right? Like you should be able to choose what you're going to do with your time. And like sandwiches are a valid choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the point is that it's not your only choice, but like you get to choose it. Um, And, and, but also it's so true, right? There's so many ways to feel like a bad feminist. So that is literally what I'm recommending to you is bad feminist by Roxane Gay, because while this is not about motherhood or parenting, um, 
it is about feeling the tension between your choices and feminist ideology. Uh, it's a collection of essays that I'm sure you've heard about it. But what I love about it is that even if you're not like, you know, even if you're not, for example, like a huge Channing Tatum fan like Roxanne is, or even if you're never going to like enter a Scrabble tournament, whatever, like these are all topics of the essays. I think the process that Roxanne goes through where she's examining her interactions with society and pop culture and thinking about what they mean to her as a feminist and whether or not they make her a bad feminist and what does it mean to be a bad feminist um, are all just super useful to develop your own framework for thinking about how the choices you make interact with your beliefs. And like, sometimes they're not going to line up and sometimes they are. And how do you deal with that dissonance and how do you make your choices um, and feel like not, not always having to feel guilty about the choices that you make. So it's a really thoughtful essay collection. It's also a really funny essay collection. She's got a great sense of humor. Um, and she's not afraid to be humorous and serious in the same moments, uh, which is super also refreshing to me. So that's Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. All right. Question six is from Adris, who says, I've been getting really frustrated recently with male slash books being written by women. Maybe it's too much fan fiction, which is entirely possible. But either way, I'd love some gay books by gay male identifying authors, specifically romances with sex, that hopefully being written by men from the community isn't fetishized, uh, preferably low on angst. Okay, um, I took this one to our uh, hosts of our When in Romance podcast, and Trisha Brown, who is one of the hosts of that podcast, recommended Hothead by Damon Swade, which this synopsis, y'all. I'm like, I need to turn up my space heater. Okay, so it takes place <laughs> in Brooklyn. The two main characters are firefighters, Brooklyn firefighters, who have been partners in the, um, what do you call it, firehouse, I guess, since 9-11. So uh, Griff and Dante, these names, I can't, Griff and Dante, uh, um, are the two main characters. Griff has a thing for Dante, has had a crush on him, or has been in love with him, essentially, for a decade. Uh, but Dante is very much like a ladies' man. The, you know, fire department of New York isn't exactly a place where you necessarily want to be openly gay. So Griff has been hiding his feelings for his best friend this whole time, for years. Um, and then Dante decides that he's having some really terrible money problems. Um, he's almost bankrupt. And he thinks that the way to fix it is to open a gay porn website. Yup. Uh, and he calls it hothead.com. And he wants Griff to appear, like, to perform with him for this website for money-making purposes. And Griff is, of course, like, well, <laughs> um... No, but yes. No, but super yes. And so they, you know, is he going to be able to do it? Like he does, first of all, does he want to be online in porn? Second of all, is it wise to like sleep with somebody that you're secretly in love with? Probably not, question mark. Are his, is his secret going to come out? Of course it is. This is a romance novel. So like happy ending is what's going to happen. Um, so this is a pretty explicit book, but that's kind of what you asked for because you said with sex and there's a lot of that in here on purpose because it's about a porn website. Um, but like, don't <laughs> let that put you off. You know, like I feel like in a synopsis, a book that says, and then they start a gay porn site can be very like, Ugh. but it isn't like that. Like it's not cringy. It's very somehow kind of sweet. I don't, I don't know. I don't even know how to articulate how that could possibly be sweet, but in this situation it is. Uh, and Damon Suede is a male identifying writer. So that's Hothead by Damon Suede, which is the first in a series. So there are more. 
I picked Alexis Hall, whose books I adore. I've read a bunch of them, um, who is uh, male-identified. And um, he, the one thing that you asked for that I am not delivering on is you said preferably low on angst, and I, I could not help you with that. <laughs> There's a fair amount of angst in Alexis Hall's books. Um, but I don't, I it never bothers me, and I can understand why you would uh, not want it, but I, I think you'll enjoy these any. Anyway, um, my favorite is For Real, which is part of this Spires Universe contemporary series. Um, and what's interesting about it For Real is that it has a lot of things that I don't normally like, but they're done so well that I liked it. So, for example, it is a May-December romance. Um, the two characters, there's like a huge age gap. Uh, Lawrence is um, turning 40 soon, and he has been in the BDSM scene for a really long time. Um, and six years ago, he and his, uh, like, he thought his partner, was they were going to be together forever, but they broke up. Um, and he's like still kind of not over it. Um, and he's just really jaded and like cynical about love and relationships and the BDSM scene. He's like, why do I even bother? Um, and then Toby is 19 and is like a baby in the scene has just come in and knows nothing other than that. He feels like he is a dom, but he like doesn't quite know how to get there. Um, and they run into each other in this club. And Lawrence is kind of like interesting <laughs> but like also knows that this kid is like brand new and so much younger and like nothing serious could ever happen but like whatever I'll play with him for a little bit um and of course they start to have feelings for each other and Toby is really trying to figure out in so many ways who he is like he is like do I want to go back to school like do I want to have like he works at a uh like a diner um cafe and it, like likes to cook but he really just doesn't know what he's supposed to do with his life which is a really super normal thing for you to feel at the age of 19 and Lawrence like should know you know he's successful in his career like he should have everything figured out but he's very emotionally tangled up um and so where the two of them sort of interact there's a lot of room for feelings <laughs> so many feelings in this book and then also y'all this is a super explicit erotic romance like super five alarm explicit um and that is all I can say about it on <laughs> air because it's like too dirty for me to use the words on this show, which is rated PG. Uh, so that is all I will say about that. But I love Alexis Hall's works. Um, the, the There's also like a fantasy series that I'm really into. There's a like lesbian detective series, but you specifically asked for male, um, male, male. And, and that's what this is. So for real by Alexis Hall is my recommendation to you. It has angst, but read it anyway. <laughs> All right, our last question is from Mark, who says, my last rereading of Sherlock Holmes' stories was on audio. Listening on audio made me more aware of different aspects of the stories, including Doyle's use of extended storytelling and many different voices beyond Holmes and Watson. Can you think of any more books that are just crying out to be reread in audio? Uh, this can be due to the nature of the book or because of a particular audio performance. I lean towards literary fiction and crime fiction. Amanda, what you got? I picked Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders, which is the weirdest freaking audiobook I've maybe ever listened to in my life and is is an entirely different experience from reading the thing. So Lincoln and the Bardo is about Abraham Lincoln um, and this particular moment in his life when his son Willie died right as the Civil War was breaking out. 
and you're just with Lincoln while he's like in the crypt, basically, where his the, the body of his son is lying. Um, and then all of these like supernatural being like ghosts basically come to talk to him. And it's just a very odd. It's a very odd book, but it's beautifully written. George Saunders, you know, as we've said on the show before, his hat says make short stories great again. So this is what he does. And this was his first novel. But the audiobook has 166 actors in it, including like David Sedaris and Nick Offerman is one of the has one of the parts of like one of the bigger supernatural characters in the book. And he actually opens it and he's the first voice that you hear. Um, Megan Mullally, who is Nick Offerman's wife, does some does a voice Lena Dunham and Don Cheadle and like Julian Moore. All of these people, yeah, 160 of them. And then also a lot of people who aren't actors at all, like George Sanders' wife and children and parents are all voices of one character or another in the audiobook. And so are people from like his publisher, like staff from his agency volunteered to take on a part. So there are 166 different voiced characters in the book, and every single one of them gets their own actor in the audiobook. And it's just completely different. Like when you're reading it, a lot of the first bit of the book is uh, primary sources uh, from that time period from the Civil War talking about like the parties that the Lincolns threw or whatever. And so a, a couple of the chapters aren't even narrative, like they're not they're not traditionally narratively written. They're just excerpts from these books. Um, and so when you read it, you're just reading it in your own voice, like going through putting together this picture of what that night at the Lincoln's house was like. But in the audiobook, every excerpt is read by a different person, um, which gives it a whole like completely different noisy party-ish kind of feeling. It actually is better. Like it's, it's, it's a, I think more immersive, more what Saunders probably had in mind when he wrote it sort of a thing. Um, so yeah, entirely different, entirely different on audio. So that's Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. So as regular listeners will know, I don't really audio, but I was thinking about this question and then I stumbled across a post that um, writers recommended audiobooks specifically for certain works. And one of them was a book that I adore and it made perfect sense to me that it would be on this list. It's The Book of Night Women by Marlon James, who I think is much better known, obviously, for A Brief History of Seven Killings. But I, when I first read The Book of Night Women, I think it was, oh gosh, it was probably at least a decade ago when I was a bookseller and it inspired the best shelf talker I've ever written in my entire <laughs> life in which I said that the book of night women will crawl into your brain and lay eggs in the good way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I know it's, but it, cause it is a really dark, intense, strange book. Um, but the thing that it makes it, I think, in particular, so good for audio is that it is a book written in dialect, which I know a lot of people struggle with reading. I don't. I really love it. Um, I like books that, you know, sort of teach you the voice as you go along. And it takes place on a Jamaican sugar plantation at the end of the 18th century um, and is about a young woman named Lilith. Um, and there's this group of women who have been plotting a slave revolt and they have decided that Lilith is going to be like the key to their plans. Um, and so it's about Lilith and growing up and then being brought into this group of women and like what's she going to do and what choices is she going to make and what is her life like. Um, and it it is, but it is told in this like, I think it's close third if it's not first person and it is told in dialect. And the narrator of the audiobook is Robin Miles, who is an award winning 
narrator and also a black woman and her father was a Jamaican professor of English. So like, could there be a better narrator for this book? Like I kind of don't think there could be. Um, and so it's like a perfect storm of a really amazing book and then a really amazing narrator. And I just now like, I mean, I don't really listen to audiobooks, but I'm super tempted to listen to this one because it's a book that I love and I would love to hear somebody say it out loud. So that is my pick for you. That's The Book of Night Women by Marlon James, uh, narrated by Robin Miles. And that's our show. Huzzah! Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please do leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to see feedback, and it does help other folks to find the show. Um, thank you to today's sponsors for making the show happen. You can find me on social, including pictures of my grave gardening, uh, <laughs> on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.